and we are back on The Chosen Life with your host, The Chosen Lawyer, and time for our, one of our favorite times of the month. Every month, sometimes twice a month, we get in one of our best co-hosts, one of our favorite people on the planet. He is the money man of Rain Finance, Mr. Zachary Rain. You know, you certainly know how to welcome a guy. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me on again. And, you know, this is a highlight of my month too, or sometimes twice a month, uh, being on this podcast, getting an opportunity to speak with you. Well, we are magical episode number 79. Now, Ooh. Zach, Zachary Rain, you want to know how small of a world it is? Oh. So this is my second taping of the day. I was interviewed on another show earlier today. So I show up for the interview, you know, I'm all excited. I tell them, you know, uh, where do I go for wardrobe? Where's the makeup people? They're like, yeah, we got a stand-up mirror in the room. I showed up. They're like, no, sorry, we took out the mirror. So didn't quite work out the way. But as I'm sitting down with the host, we're talking a little bit. And I'm telling this host, you know, I'm getting ready because I got a big taping later on this afternoon. No offense. And they're like, oh, who are you taping? And I'm like, oh, a uh, guy, uh, Zachary Rain. She looks at me. She's like, you know, Zach Rain. I'm like, I do. And she's like, oh, my God, I love Zach. Zach's the best. Zach, I can't walk the streets of Thornhill without you coming up. Jeez. Well, it's, it's hopefully part of the brand I'm building, too, and the honesty and genuine uh, nature of myself. But that's that's pretty awesome. Does a last name Quinn ring a bell? You're kidding. Do I look like I'm kidding? Diana. Diana. You have, how come you were doing an interview with her? So Diana and I go way, way back. And Diana uh, over at TFN Realty was having me over for a little soiree. Uh, we, uh, I give seminars there once a month talking about real estate. And today we came onto their podcast and talked about real estate and life, the upcoming book. It was a ton of fun. But before we started, it was all about Zachary Rain. So she loves you, your family. Apparently you and your family are a bit into the hockey community, we've heard. Yeah, no, she's she's honestly so lovely. Um, so so the story is is that my father and my brother and I, we coach well, my older brother as well, but he recently got married and decided to focus on other priorities in life. Um, but my younger brother and I and my dad, we coach hockey. We've been coaching hockey for I don't know, I've been coaching my dad since I was 16 so we've been coaching almost 11 years now together um which is wild we've coached uh youth youth competitive hockey mainly if you know anything about youth competitive hockey there's double a triple a single a select you know a whole range of of different compete levels um and we've coached kids from i don't know seven years old all the way up to 18 years old just before their hockey career uh let's just say is done um their competitive hockey career at least and so you know as part of giving back to the community and just staying involved in the game and, you know, just being with my father, my brother, we try to coach a team every year. Um, and it just so happens that this year we're coaching Diana's son, um, who lovely, and they're a lovely family as well. Um, I can't, you know, say enough good things about her kids. Um, so it's, it's been just a great experience getting to know her. Um, and then the team as well, you know, my, my, my family and I, we've made a dent in the youth hockey community thankfully, hopefully for good reasons. Um, but Diana is now our team manager and she is as professional as it gets. She hit the ground running. She, she is like a well-oiled machine and it's, it's been really nice getting to, to know her and work with her as well. 
anybody that gets to spend any amount of time on this earth with Diana Quinn is a very, very, very lucky person. So I agree. Thumbs up for Diana Quinn. Uh, we will talk more about hockey soon. I mean, one of your protégés, uh, Connor Bedard, went first overall. You must be very proud of him. You did coach him originally, right? Yeah, no, I coached him from a very young age. He's he's honestly such a lovely kid. Um, work ethic that is through the roof. You know, um, I I want to compare him to a, a McDavid and a Crosby and a Gretzky like nature. Unfortunately, I didn't have the opportunity to coach those individuals, but. Um, you know, Bedard, he's going to do really big things because uh, he won't let anything else happen. He he won't fall short of whatever calls on him to be the best player he can be. So I'm very excited for him. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's going to go first overall. I don't think there's much of a debate with that. Um, really deserving kid. Well, uh, I was reading on an article which caught my attention. I did this on purpose. They said that McDavid has signed long-term deal, not going anywhere, and it's not a hockey signing. Mr. McDavid is now engaged. Huh. So, when Mr. McDavid one day, if he does have children, Mr. McDavid, if you want to have your children learn hockey the right way, send them over to Zachary Rain. Not just the finance man, but he is the hockey man. Well, you know what? I appreciate that. I'd be honored to coach Connor's kids. Um, one thing I always focus on uh, to all, any of those parents out there, those young hockey coaches, um, most important thing, make your athletes good people first, right? The game to me is just a mechanism to try and create good people, people who, you know, understand motivation, understand what it means to be part of a team, understands a common goal. You know, obviously there's a skill aspect to it and trying to win. And, you know, there's there's that part of the game, which will always be there. But for any athlete, whether it's hockey, baseball, soccer, who knows, whatever's out there, football, coach kids to be better kids. The rest, the rest is just gravy. So that's that's what I believe. Google the word mensch. I think in English it's M-E-N-T-S-C-H or some variation of that. I believe it comes from Yiddish, German, but search up that word and that's what you want your kids to become. So we may get to some hockey talk a little bit at the end because you know that's how we roll. But in today's episode, the main focus point, Zachary Rain of Rain Finance, goes like this. I know that you have a wealth of knowledge when it comes to insurance. Okay? Yes. We've touched upon this in previous episodes, but I really want to dig down today because there's a giant misconception that insurance is simply a thing there that I need to get in case something goes wrong one day. So, you know, I buy insurance for my car and I buy insurance for my life and I buy insurance for my house. And with my house, I buy property insurance. I buy title insurance. Yes. I buy dental insurance. I have pet insurance. I have insurances up the yin yang, you know, like, if you have any kind of life, you know, like, you know, if you made it in life, you know, you got a lot of keys and you got a lot of insurance. <laughs> but the misconception is, Zachary Rain of Rain Finance, is that I'm getting insurance in case something goes wrong. And otherwise, I'm never going to use it. It's of no value to me whatsoever. But I like to read about smart people and successful people. I like to read about people that do a lot of good things in their life and do well so I can figure out how to do well myself. You know, I want that to inspire me. These very, very smart people that made lots of money and keep their money and grow their money. They just 
don't go to a bank to put the money into their bank accounts. They don't just put the money in bonds and GICs and stocks and real estate. They do a bunch of stuff. But these smart people seem to find a way to take insurance and use insurance for investing to protect themselves and make money. So Zachary Rain of Rain Finance, how do we go about using insurance for investment purposes? That is a great question. Um, you're, you're certainly right that there's a stigma there. And yes, everybody has a lot of different kinds of insurances. And the better you've done for yourself, the more insurance you have, just like he's, you said. Um, but I guess for the general public, a lot of them don't know about the investment value, the growth value, the asset value of permanent life insurance. So, you know, there's the generic term life insurance, which is what most people think of when they think of life insurance, which is, you know, God forbid I passed away. I have this benefit that pays, for instance, for my mortgage to be paid off or for my kids to be able to go to school or for things like that. And that insurance is great. I'm a big believer in it. You know, uh, anybody who has financial dependence should have it. But for the wealthier community, the community that has, you know, been able to build assets, been able to build uh, wealth, retained earnings, whatever you want to call it, um, investing in insurance is an absolutely amazing strategy. Uh, there are so many advantages, but, you know, if we look at the composition of permanent life insurance, then it's, it's more easy to understand, especially when we compare it to assets that we know from our everyday use. So, the best example that I like to give is uh, a well-structured, permanent and yes, structured because life insurance, just like, uh, you know, many different types of insurances is built with many different facets. So I say well-structured, a well-structured life insurance policy is very similar to investing in, for instance, real estate. It's, it's treated from a tax perspective in a more advantaged way. So uh, a lot of people won't know unless you're an accountant, in which case you've seen this a lot. The Income Tax Act in Canada has a, its own section for life insurance because of how it's treated favorably. Uh, and what it says is that life insurance death benefits are paid out tax-free, which is an absolutely amazing, amazing benefit of life insurance. And that's just the first one. On top of that, we have permanent life insurance, which has similar qualities towards real estate in the sense that your, let's just say annual payment behaves just like your mortgage payment. You have a portion that goes towards uh, interests with real estate that you're never going to get back, right? That's the cost of playing with real estate, right? Let's just say that. And then there's another portion that goes towards your principal investment, which goes towards paying down your house. That's the equity that you retain in your home. With life insurance, your payment is exactly the same. You have a portion you're not going to get back. That's the cost of insurance. That's the actuarial side of things, which is, well, if this person dies at this age, you know, what's the likelihood of that happening? What benefit are we paying out? Things like that. But the much larger portion, especially when you're younger, and I, when I say larger, I mean well-structured, we're talking 70, 80% plus of your contribution to life insurance goes specifically to equity, which let is- let, let me pause you right there. I have a question for you. So just so we all conceptually visualize this, because we're going to dig really deep into this. Mm -hmm. So just so we put in kind of numbers so people understand, because the majority of us, Zach, are not going to be on this permanent insurance. Most people, if they have life insurance, generally are on this term insurance, right? Mm -hmm. So term insurance, let's say uh, most popular for people 50 years, 40 years, 30 years. Like, What do you find generally is like a, a good number? 
I'm finding a lot of 30 years. 30? Yeah, it's the amount of time that it takes to raise kids, the amount of time it takes to pay off a mortgage, the amount of time it takes to build enough assets that in retirement, your spouse is self-sustainable, things like that. So let's take you're the average person, you signed up, you get to, if you had to get, a, you, you're probably getting a physical at this point, wherever you're at, you get approved, you got a 30 year term insurance, you're paying 500 bucks a month, 200 bucks a month, a thousand bucks, whatever it works out to. So if God forbid something happens to you in those 30 years, there's a scale of what is being paid out from the, from the insurance company to your beneficiaries and a discussion done. Mm -hmm. If somebody gets that 30 year term insurance, they're paying it every month, you know, religiously, they, they got their, their rate locked in. They think they're amazing. They're good. They did it when they're 30. Now they're 60 years old. Mm -hmm. Term has come up. Now they come to their insurance broker and they're saying, okay, 30 years is up. I'd like some money, please. What happens there, yeah. Zach? I, I, I wish that was the case. So with insurance, it's always the lottery you don't want to win right? So car insurance, you don't want to get in an accident. Home insurance, you don't want anything to happen to your house or to burn down, anything like that. Um, no different with life insurance from the temporary side of things, the term, right? You don't want that term insurance to kick in because it means you most likely died prematurely, um, which we don't want. So, you know, the best case scenario is at the end of those 30 years, I look at you and say, congratulations, the insurance has served its purpose. We've hit all of our other goals, part of the financial plan, and you're not getting a dollar back from the term insurance. Whoa, um, so whoa, whoa, whoa. Zach, you just blew my mind. So I've been paying every month religiously for yeah. 30 years. Okay. So I've made 400 payments, whatever the math is, and I've come to it and I'm not seeing a dollar of it. It's gone. No, no, it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. So, so now at this point, I'm now 60. So I was 30. I set it up for 30 years. It's now sick. I'm 60 years old. Can I just say, hey, you know what? Can I just, let's just renew it. Let's keep it going at the same rate and everything. Is that how it works, Zach? That's a beautiful question. You're right on the nose. So the goal with a lot of financial planners, people who practice financial planning, is to do an annual or even, you know, more often review of insurance. Um, when I come across somebody who's had insurance, for instance, let's say 25 years, their kids have now, you know, moved up and out. So that need really gone. Their mortgage is paid off, if not already in the very, very low areas. So that area, is, that need is up and gone. So what do we need now? We now we now need permanent insurance, permanent life insurance for permanent needs. What's going to happen to all of us? It's a guarantee in life. Unfortunately, we all die at some point. Now, when we do, do we want to leave our families in a better state than we were before? Or do we want to leave them in a state of shambles? Do we want people who we love most dearly to have to worry about mommy, money, mommy, to have to worry about money in a time when they're mourning us? No. So what we do is we convert a portion, if not all of the term life insurance they've had into permanent life insurance so that we're at least retaining some value moving forward. Uh, that permanent life insurance, it's a guaranteed payout. It's permanent in its most true sense, right? It's guaranteed. But if, if I finished off my 30-year term, so I did my my time, I made it to the end end, at the point there were now zero time left, Can is there anything to convert at that point? Or am I setting up a whole new possible oh. term and a whole possible permanent? How does that work? So with zero time left, 
what you can do potentially, which, you know, every insurance company is different. You could potentially renew your term life insurance if the option is available. Not every insurance company has that option. Mm -hmm. And what that means is no medical underwriting. We don't need to worry about if God forbid you're sick, you've, you know, you've gotten diabetes or heart issues, whatever it may be over the time of having that insurance. You can renew it to another term life insurance policy, which will cover you for whatever the insurance company is willing to offer. Okay. Or you can go through the underwriting process again, which at the age of 60, 65, it's not as easy uh, as it definitely was when you were 30 or 35. Um, but it's definitely an option. Um, with that, you can apply for term insurance. You can apply for permanent insurance. My preference would be to convert to permanent insurance, but on, I don't know, let's say day 350 whatever it may be, payment 300, sorry, I should say payment, payment 350. So we're at a point where we know what the traje trajectory of everything's going. We know where we're looking and we're being proactive about it. And we're saying, okay, you know, we've got our locked in low rates, like you said, for the 30 years, we've known that year, I don't know, 27 and a half. Well, all of these things have happened in life and our need for life insurance, term life insurance is slowly dissipated so let's look at permanent insurance we know we're all going to get there at some point so we can convert that option with no medical underwriting it's so much ease from the client end side of things from the insured side of things where for me sure there's paperwork but that's my job for you there's nothing all you have to do is review what permanent insurance you want to have that discussion of what you need moving forward and bob's your uncle we're done so zach zachary of rain finance I am yes. now 30 and I bought my term insurance of 30 years. I am now in year 10. So I'm 40 years old in this scenario, mm -hmm. right? I got 20 years to go. Would I be a smart man to contact you at that point when there's a lot of time left and try to get on the permanent uh, insurance bandwagon ASAP? And can ASAP. I do ASAP. If you have disposable income, so the way I the way I see it with people, right? With any type of financial planning, there are certain things we want to hit first and foremost, right? So we want to make sure we're maximizing our retirement dollars. Now, to everybody, it's different, right? RRSPs, while they are mainstream for most people, they're becoming somewhat of an older thought for some people, right? We're looking at investing in retirement as a retirement dollars. Um, you know, we have an asset that we can sell if need be in retirement. We have an asset that's cash flowing us in retirement based off of, you know, rental payments and things like that. So hit your retirement dollars first, right? Then we're hitting those extra savings dollars so that we can afford to buy, you know, a new car, go on vacation, renovations, and that's whatever it may be, usually in the TFSA, right? So once we've hit the retirement dollars, the extra savings dollars, then we're looking to get creative with it, right? What are we going to do? Are we going to pay our mortgage down earlier? Well, we can, but if you're getting a good rate, no value there, right? Uh, especially because mortgages more than not tax-free dollars, right? Um, so, you know, definitely not something worth, you know, overly considering there. Uh, unless you're just risk averse, you want to pay it off, I can understand that. But for most people, the next step is, okay, are we investing in real estate as an investment? Do we want to become landlords, property managers, you know, a more hands-on approach to our investment. Is there greater upside more often than not? Is there much more work involved? Absolutely. Being a landlord at some point, it's a full-time job. I've seen it. Um, so after that, people more often than not look at permanent life insurance. Why? 
It grows tax-free. Yes, it grows. It is invested in a fund that produces a return, just like a mutual fund would, just like a GIC would, just like a stock investment would. It's very conservative. The returns aren't going to blow you blow your uh, return, your portfolio through the roof. We're looking at 6 7% a year for most insurance companies, but that's still 6 or 7%. That is very conservative. We're talking about investments that once they're actually in the policy, once that return has been earned, will never go down. It's a guarantee from these insurance companies. So it's 6% growing tax-free, which for the average wealthier individual is now looking at a 9% plus return in a very conservative investment. And the permanent insurance is filling a need. We're paying, we're leaving a legacy on death. We're paying tax liabilities that we may have on death. Uh, you know, we're, we're looking at succession planning. We're looking at retaining money in an asset that's growing tax advantage. There's so many different reasons to look at permanent life insurance, um, but it's just, it's so tax advantaged and valuable. And the best part is it's to set it and forget it. It's passive. You don't need to worry about it. So I'm trying to think of the metaphor of this, Zach, and this is what I'm picturing. For those young people out there when they bought their first home, you know, and they set up their mortgage and they're speaking with their mortgage rep, they look at something called an amortization schedule. And what they're seeing is, okay, so I'm paying 2000 bucks a month on my mortgage. Mm -hmm. And so from that money, if I'm lucky, let's say, 800 of it is going towards interest and 1200 is going towards principal. Mm -hmm. So I'm paying 2000 bucks a month, but my mortgage is going down by 1200 a month, every single month. So that's pretty interesting. This sounds to me, not that far off where I'm making my payment. You're saying that portion of it's towards insurance, like the term insurance, that's going to disappear. But otherwise, this money, the, the principle of it is actually not paying down something. It's being put away into a fund, and that's money I get to keep. So it sounds like really what I'm doing here is I'm buying an investment and I'm buying insurance all in one. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful way of looking at things. So, And the value is, is you know, with a mortgage, more often than not, it's like you said, the majority of it, especially for those first 10, 15 years, is going to be interest right? The majority of it is going to be money that you're not really seeing for a long time, right? At any point. Um, with life insurance, with permanent life insurance, the majority of it is actually what's going in to the cash value into the investment portion of the asset. Uh, so, you know, with, with much larger policies, people who can contribute in the hundreds of thousands, we're seeing people put 86%, 87% of the money that they're investing in life insurance directly into the fund, which with much more smaller investments, you know, not the everyday person can put 300 grand a year into a policy. Um, so let's say you're putting, you know, for instance, a thousand bucks a month into a policy. Well, we could probably put somewhere, depending on age, of course, and health status, but we could put 60, 70% towards the investment. So the majority of it's going towards the investment. And then once it's in there, you get that beautiful compound effect. It grows every year, uh, super conservative. Their majority of the insurance companies have been paying these returns annually for over a hundred years. But Zach, if I put $10,000 in a year and I make interest, and then with the interest I'm at, well, uh, let's say $11,000. I'm at $11,000 now. 
Then we're going to collect interest the next year on the $11,000, get it up to 12 or 13,000. And that's how we keep building it. Right. And you just keeps growing. So now a couple more questions, you know, again, for somebody who's never seen this before, this is the layman's terms. We've never, you know, we're blowing our minds now because we've never heard of this kind of insurance. Right. Mm-hmm. So in the term insurance, I know I my set amount, I'm paying it every month for 30 years and then it's done. In this case, let's say I'm that 30 year old and I'm like, whoa, I'm going to be ahead of the game now. I'm not, I'm going to go to term. I'm just going to go straight to permanent and make mm-hmm. myself a big nest egg at the end, help my estate, blah, blah, blah. How do I know like how to make amount of the payments to calculate that? Can I up that at any point when my situation changes? And do I pay this for the rest of my life or is it up to a certain point? How does that work? So there's there's many different ways that we can approach the situation. So, for instance, I have um, one client who's 25, making really great income in construction sales, um, needed term insurance because he bought investment properties. So we set him up with a, you know a, a substantial amount of term insurance, a couple million bucks, at least substantial for a 25 year old. Um, and as we've been going over the last couple of years, as we've been working, he's been converting small amounts as more disposable income comes available. Um, that is again after his retirement dollars after his extra savings dollars um then we're looking at what he has left available and we're putting it in permanent life insurance um he's a big fan of it because permanent life insurance is highly leverageable what that means is that you know uh, the average bank or the actual company that you have the insurance with will loan will give you a loan against the value of your cash in your policy wait so i can use have- it as collateral like real oh, estate absolutely. So, so collaterals using as collaterals, the majority of my business, right? So more often than not, I'm working with real estate investors who have built sizable portfolios. And that's where the next example comes from on a much more different scale than that younger individual. Um, You know, I have a 41 year old client, I think he's 41. And what he's done is amazing. He's built a $40 million real estate empire at the age of 41. Um, Now, you know, the caveat with him because of the interest rate environment we're in, his cash on cash dollars, what he's cash flowing and earning his income isn't what you would expect with somebody who's got $40 million of real estate because the majority of his income goes towards paying down the mortgage payments, right? Um, now, is he still earning a great income? Yes, but he's not earning an income to the point where he can put three, $400,000 a year into this policy. So what we did with him is we did two portions, right? We have a small portion every single month or year that he puts towards his permanent life insurance. And we got him a whole whack of term insurance. And the reason is, is because of that conversion feature, right? No matter how his health goes in the future, he could be perfectly healthy in 10 years. He could, you know, have God forbid a heart attack in between, become diabetic, all of these things that would normally prevent you from getting insurance. And he can convert it to more permanent insurance, no medical underwriting, whatever he wants and is able to. So, so it, it's an it's an asset like you're literally buying yourself an asset now it, this 30 year old if they start permanent now uh do they pay it for the rest of their lives there's a kind of point that they turn 60 70 or 80 and they're like okay so i'm done paying this thing and it's just going to sit here now as an asset how does that work no that's a great question so so we have options um and it depends on the investor so i'll have a two separate clients, right? Let's say we have the real estate investor and the real estate investor, well, you know, their their cash flow, their rental income theoretically 
should never go away, right? People are always going to need a place to rent. And as long as the population is growing, they're going to need a place to live. Well, he's got a place to live. She's got a place to live. They've got a place to live. So we keep putting money in towards their rental income. They can keep putting money towards life insurance, theoretically, until they die, right? Um, now, when you build it with me and you're building it properly, we have what we call fail-safes. So if they said to me, for instance, in Zachary, and you're 15, ah, I don't want to pay into this thing anymore. I want to dedicate my money towards something else. Maybe I want to give it to my kids so they can start using it in my lifetime. Again, it just happened to me last week. It's a great idea. I'm all for it. No problem. Your life insurance policy is paid off. It's going to become self-supporting. We've built that fail-safe in for our clients so that they know that they have options. They have flexibility. Uh, another option, for instance, is for you know that client that just reached out to me who owns a contracting business. Um, uh, older gentleman in his early 60s has earned substantial income in his life. He's got just shy of two million bucks sitting in his corporation that he wants to dedicate towards this. Well, here's what we're going to do, sir. We're going to put $200,000 a year every year into this thing for 10 years, and then you're done. Policy will become self-supporting after that too. And you don't need to worry about another dollar. It'll just grow and grow and grow and compound um, for God willing your long life. So there's many different ways that we can build these things with so much flexibility. That's that's the value in working with somebody who's, you know, well-trained on these things, well-experienced on these things. Someone, I, I know that I hate to toot my own horn, but it's what I do. So it's, you know, it's value in working with someone like me. Are you the money man for a reason? Now, is there a minimum age a person can start, a minimum age they should start? Is there a minimum income or amount of money they should have? Like people saying, okay, I, I'm at my first job. I make minimum wage. I got some expenses. You know, I got to pay rent, car payments. Maybe this kind of thing isn't for me. Zach, when should people start this thing? You should start this thing, I want to say, as early as possible, if possible, and when there's a reason or a need available. So, you know, with the real estate investors, it's easy. God forbid they passed away. There's massive tax liabilities that their family, their, the people who inherit their estate would have to pay, right? You earned, an, you earned growth on an asset. That's great. Government's going to come get their check. They're going to get what's due to them no matter what. So better prepare for it with money that's not yours. Use life insurance, right? Um, and then you can start for children. I have Clients who started putting money into life insurance policies for their kids when they were very young. Again, not not risky investors per se. So they like the the high return rate for low investment risk that life insurance provides. They were putting in hundred bucks a month every month for you know their first 18, 20 years of their kids' lives. Um, and next thing you know, <laughs> something I just worked on last month, the kid has a down payment for a home. And that's just that's amazing to me. So, you know, there's tons of value. You can start it at any point. You can start it from day one, the kid is born. You could start doing it at your ripe age of 35, let's say, or you can even do it at, even in your 60s, like I just did for this other gentleman. So the sooner, the better, because the younger you are, the less your insurance is going to cost, but start whenever is available and whenever you need it. So you can start before 18. Interesting. Interesting. Now, if I use that money for you're saying as a down payment in a house, is that money that I need to pay it back at some point to my fund? Should I be paying it back? You're saying it's tax-free, but then is it just gone or can I pay it back in a certain amount of time and get that tax-free status still? How does that work? Well, that's a great question. So there's different ways you can access this money. 
Okay. So you can access it as a loan. I said, you know, the one time you can access it as a loan from the insurance company. There'll be tax consequences. Why? Because, well, you've had an asset grow tax-free for 20 years. So if it grows within the policy tax-free, the government's going to want what's theirs. Now, if you pay that back, well, then you get that money back from the government. It's not as simple as that, but in simplest form, that's exactly how it works. You can, if you have substantial money in there, you can go to a bank, to a third-party lender. Um, there are banks like Equitable Bank, Manulife, Duca, that specialize in this. And you say, hey, you know, I put this amount of money in my kid's life insurance policy. Give me a line of credit against the value of it. They'll give you a line of credit. That way, the policy is less affected. There's no tax consequences. And sure, do you have to pay it back? Yes. Um, and then finally, you know, to answer your question, do you want to pay it back? Yes, the value of the investment hasn't changed. The value for your need for life insurance hasn't changed. So why wouldn't you want to pay it back? Uh, it's 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 something that you're paying back and earning your income on it again. So there's an infinite banking concept. It is very popular. It's something I talk about every single day, multiple times a day to clients. Um, and the theory is, is that if you, for instance, get a policy with Sun Life, let's say, right? and you borrow money from your policy and you get the loan from Sun Life, well, the interest you're paying back is into the fund that you're invested in with Sun Life. So that's where the be your own banker concept comes in. And it's very, very popular in the US. Uh, naturally, like most things in the US, it comes a few years later to Canada and grows in popularity here like it is. Um, and that's how you're being your own banker. You're paying interest to a fund that you're earning money from. So. It's a, it's a very popular concept, but again, it's for people who can afford it. Not everybody can afford to put that five, $600,000 a month into a policy. Um, but if you can, man, oh man, there's so many great advantages to it. Uh, there's the wealth side of things, of course. And then there's the value of life insurance, which is, you know, God forbid you die early, but one day we're all going to, and you're leaving the people who, you know, who are, are living after you with just a great benefit, a great legacy. So there's uh there's lots of great reasons i think it comes down to the simple art of investing whether it's into a permanent life insurance if it's real estate you know uh in the stock market even if you don't have that giant income if you don't have a lot of uh savings you know start as soon as you can with small amounts get used to it Absolutely. learn it and those little bit of amounts can grow and grow and grow and grow and grow over time for sure uh, you know, I was thinking about today's episode and everything as I went and bought some lobster and I'm going to learn to cook lobster for the first time today. So trying to get inspired in this idea of permanent life insurance and living the life. So uh, I'll let you know how that goes. So Zach, uh, people can contact you at Rain Finance. We have the contact information, obviously, as far as to discuss life insurance and this whole idea of investing through permanent insurance. I think it's absolutely fascinating. So thank you for sharing the wisdoms on that. Absolutely. Thank you. It's, it's my pleasure. If I could leave people with three thoughts on it, the three thoughts would be, one, if you can't afford the permanent life insurance to start, get the term. Term life insurance is cheap, cheap, cheap. And then what you've done is you've guaranteed your ability to buy permanent life insurance in the future, as long as it's got that convertibility feature, which the majority of the big insurance companies have. So that's one thought. The second thought is, there's tax advantages that you're not going to experience very much anywhere other investment in, in Canada. Uh, it is considered one of the most tax efficient investments in Canada 
for the invest, investment portion of the life insurance. And the third thing is, if you own a corporation, then the value of this life insurance has just grown so exponentially. If you've got corporate income, corporate retained earnings, call me because it's going to blow your mind what you're able to do with these life insurance dollars. Uh, people are lighting up at their phones as we speak and emails and social media. And Zach, you're really, really popular on social media, on LinkedIn, on Instagram. You put up great videos, great little nuggets of information. And I've learned a lot from you over the years. So I really appreciate the wisdom. No, thank you. It's my pleasure. It's, it's the value that we want to offer to people, you know, Financial knowledge is not often spoken about enough. So if I can give people tidbits of wisdom to, you know, give them more confidence, give them a call to action, whatever it may be to just take control of their financial future, especially in a difficult environment. And that's what we want to do. Now, before we end today's episode, you know, we're not going to let you off that easy because there's two things we usually talk about. We talk about money, insurance, and we talk about a little sport called hockey. I love it. We, we started with hockey. We're going to end with hockey. Usually Zach gets the agenda ahead of time. Today he is not because I got three quick questions that have come up from our viewers and we want to get Zach's take. So we're going to call the segment called Zach's take. So Zach. All right. Item number one. You ready? Yes. Let's do this. Number one. Why did the Bruins trade Taylor Hall? Ooh, great question. Um, Taylor Hall, the trade was really just a cap dump. Um, really, really great player was better than he is today, naturally, as you progress in your career. Um, not necessarily thinking they're seeing value for the price point that he's at. Third liners don't usually get paid in the same, you know, pay group that he's at. So, you know, given that the cap hasn't really increased much, we're in a tighter area. Um, they want to get value for Taylor Hall. Um, and they also, you know, want to free up some room for somebody who can contribute equally at a much, much cheaper cap. Bertuzzi. Um, yeah, I really I think, like Bertuzzi. I'm pretty sure. That's where I think it's going to. Yeah. But if they're not able to sign Bertuzzi mm-hmm. and they created this cap space, did they kind of shoot themselves in the foot by, by not keeping Hall? Or do you think for those dollars to be able to allocate it elsewhere? It's, it's an interesting thing because, you know, with Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci, you're getting two guys who can both very well compete in this league, no problem but two guys who maybe just don't want to anymore. Um, and then with that, you lose your one, two center punch. So they're either going to have freed up all this cap space to go after much better centermen or centermen who can replace them, I should say, per se. Um, or you freed up the cap space to get a much deeper, I don't know, defense forward group um, if those two decide to stay, which they'll inevitably stay at cheap cap hits too. Interesting. Now, do you see... From here, is Taylor Hall going to stay and mentor uh, Connor Bedard, or will he be on his way into another team? And this is going to be a flip deal. What do you see happening? What's your so prediction? I, I see him staying. I actually, when I saw the move, I thought, you know, that's kind of an interesting take because Taylor Hall doesn't have too far of a different skill set than Connor Bedard. Both can rip the puck. Both um, great skaters. Both lots of skill, meaning they can dangle themselves out of a phone booth. Um, so it was it was interesting. And then you know Taylor Hall also you know won multiple trophies in the league um, for you know outstanding achievements. So I think it's I think it's kind of a mentorship take, which I don't hate to move, especially for a Chicago team, which 
you know, they're barely under the cap right now. So um, they can they can use the extra cap space and they can use somebody to to mentor who is supposed to be, you know, especially since I coached him, um, one of the perennial superstars this league's ever seen. Pretty sure if uh, Vegas needs to make some room because Mr. Robin Leonard is going to continue his career, there's rumors that he's not going to come back and they're just going to keep him on the IR. But otherwise, uh, if he is going to be healthy and coming back, they're not going to, there's not going to be room in the end. Uh, give us your $5 million goalies. Sure, we got lots of space for them. You could team up with Mrazek, right? Oh, God. And you give him Matt Murray, too. So, question number two mm-hmm. How do we like the new Leafs GM? So I was just watching a press conference while I was getting some work done. Um, love the background noise while I'm doing some admin stuff. Um, and he's funny, man. Like listening to him talk to the media, they ask him, you know, what's the progressions on Nylander and Matthews contract negotiations? Oh, they're progressing. Well, thanks, Brad. Um, you know, what what's the what do you think the priority is with getting a new assistant coach? What do you mean? I'm negotiating with Austin Matthews and William Nylander right now. Uh, well, you can't tell us anything about that. No, but that's what's going on right now. Okay, that's great. Um, what do you want to do with your defensive core? I can't focus on that. I'm negotiating with Austin Matthews and William Nylander's camps. So he's just, he's very funny. I think that just natural business acumen, how can't he with who his father is? Um, really great experience um, that he's had with Calgary. Everybody knows of the Huberto Kachuk trade and Uyghur. Um so they know that he's not afraid to make a splash if need be. Uh, I think that the style of team that he's built is also going to work favorably for Sheldon Keith's coaching and for what the Leafs are going to need in order to succeed in the playoffs, make deep runs. Correct me if I'm wrong, Zach, as, as a layman hockey fan at best, you know. So the Stanley Cup final was Vegas and Florida, right? Yes. And we can say that Matthew Kachuk had a lot to do with Florida as far as the ignition and everything else. Of course. Who traded Matthew Kachuk? You said it was... It was Brad Tree Living, yeah. Right. So this is the GM that trades away the spark plug that inspires the team to go to the Stanley Cup final. Not the GM that acquired Matthew Kachuk. So the Leafs watched this and watched the turmoil that happened in Calgary because I understand that there's a little bit of falling out with the coach and a bunch of stuff going on there. And they're like, Man, so they kind of didn't do so well. Things didn't go so well with the coach. That's who we need right there. Like, what is the reasoning when you don't have such a successful so, season, you lose your top player? How do you say, I want the guy in charge of the Titanic? Well, sorry, the pun, but. No, that's funny. Um, I know, especially right now. Um, so <laughs> I don't think, I don't think the Calgary, the Calgary trade of, of, Kachuk was as simple as it seems. Kachuk, don't forget, he asked for a trade. He said he's not re-signing. So, you know, you got a guy with one year left on his contract who you can keep him, and then at the end of the year, you'll get nothing from him. Uh, I don't think Calgary thought they were in contention to win the Stanley Cup anymore. Um, you know, Goudreau just decided that he's out, um, who was their, you know, all-star player as well. So I think what they did, what he did is get the best bargain for his dollar. Now, never been a fan of Huberto. Um, my brothers and I used to go back and forth on that. I just don't think he was that great. I think he was the benefactor of some star players on Florida Panthers, um, which has proven to be true, at least for now. Um, but again, they got a player who put up 100 points, 100 plus points that year before, that prior year, right? Uh, Mackenzie Weger, who I think was the other part of the trade, I've always liked him. Really, really good defenseman. Um, so not upset about that. 
And I think they got a good return for a guy who everybody knew wanted out. So, yeah, my and my at the time, to be honest, I didn't hate the move. I thought, you know what, they're getting a forward that stats wise isn't that different. Kachuk, they got a solid D guy. I, I, it looked okay on the surface of it. I don't think that they got shellacked. It just Kachuk got very inspired, and uh, Bobovsky uh, got inspired for a couple minutes, and then he turned into a pumpkin uh, when the clock struck midnight. That's yeah, I know. I wish I wish the Leafs would have seen that Bobovsky. No, listen. There's there's an expression that we use now in coaching. I don't know if it's a hockey term or just in all sports. Um, it's called driving the bus, right? So on each team, there's a player that drives the bus, meaning that they're going to push everything forward, right? For instance, on the Leafs, the player that drives the bus is Austin, is Austin Matthews. If Austin Matthews isn't going 100% of the time, Leafs aren't going to go. doesn't matter how well Mitch Marner plays or William Nylander or, you know, Ilya Samsonov or Morgan Riley played, right? And again, Riley was outstanding in the playoffs. doesn't matter how well they play because Matthews drives the bus. Uh, Matthew Kachuk, he drives the bus. If he is going on all cylinders, the whole team is going to want to go. He's just that electric player. Um, Huberto doesn't drive the bus. When Huberto was in Florida, Barkov drove the bus. That's everybody knows it. You watch the Panthers play, Barkov drove the bus. So there was no question about that. Um, and that's why I just I, I don't think Huberto was, you know, all that great to begin with. But again, they got a player who scored 100 and whatever, 111, 120 points he had. So you can't be mad at it. And the way that it turned out is the way that it turned out. But it's like, you know, John, the lessons that we win. We learn from the lessons that we lose. We learn from either way. As long as we're learning, we're moving forward. You want a good Morgan Riley story? Sure. So a buddy of mine's in an elevator the other day, right? And who comes into the elevator but Morgan Riley, right? Right. And my buddy knows who he is right away. And he's like, hello. And the guy goes, hello. Um, Nice to meet you. I'm Morgan. And he goes, I'm so-and-so. And they start chatting it up in the elevator. And my my friend's holding back because he wants to say, so just to let you know, we're now new best friends. Uh, we should get together, maybe work out, you know, something. Let's exchange numbers, but didn't do that. Didn't take a picture with him. But apparently, nicest guy, real chill dude. Uh, Morgan Riley's awesome. He's feeling really good these days. So, and, and he, apparently he's huge. Like you see it on TV is one thing, but apparently he's like 6'3". And Morgan Riley's a big boy, but apparently very, very personable. So thumbs up for Morgan Riley. He actually knows, and he says, uh, my, hello, my name is Morgan. <laughs> yeah, I know. As if we don't know who he is. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So yeah, we're in Toronto. We have no clue, buddy. Yeah. Uh, last, <laughs> I actually lived in the building one time with uh, with Pat Quinn. Really? Yes. Well, that's wild. I had no idea. And uh, we bumped into each other in the elevator. It was like 7.30 in the morning. I didn't know he lived in the building. He lived in the top penthouse area, right? Mm-hmm. So he comes in, the, in there. It's like 7 in the morning. And I'm like, Pat, how you doing? He goes, good. Ugh. Right? He has a giant <laughs> thermos of coffee and a cigar at 7 in the morning. Like, that's his breakfast, right? And we live like right near the arena. So I said, oh, so you walking over to the arena? He's like, walk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think he ended up having a heart attack. So uh, yeah, maybe, well, maybe, maybe the cigars for breakfast in those walks, but uh, small, small world in the city of Toronto. Last question for you, Zachary Rain, and That's we'll make good. this one a quickie as we finish off today. NHL awards were announced. Any surprises? Uh, no, no. I think everybody pretty much got what they deserved. Um, really love seeing the Stelter family up there with Connor McDavid. 
really love what him and Biznet, Biz, uh, uh, Paul Bissonnette, otherwise known as Biz Nasty, throughout social medias, um, are doing for the for the charity for the family. Everybody got what they deserve. Carlson got the Norris, unreal year. McDavid, there's nobody better than him right now, and it's whether you want to say it or not, it just is what it is. So um, happy for the two of them. Um, otherwise, yeah, no rookie of the year, Matty Beniers, unreal year. Good for him. I think if you want your son to be a first round draft pick and do well in the NHL, the name Connor is really, really, really good. Yeah, seriously. I know, right? But, yeah. It's going to be the most popular baby name in 2023. Absolutely. From Sault Ste. Marie up to wherever, it's all going to be Connors from now on. <laughs> Linus Allmark, does he say to himself, you know, I wish we could take Bobrovsky's playoff run with my regular season run and we could be a superhuman goalie. That, that, that Vesna has got to feel a little empty right now, just a tad, right? It's got to be. You know what? It should have gone to um, Sorokin. Um, that guy. Really? Yes, he carried. Uh, he drove the bus, John. That team's horrible, and he drove the bus. I I have to eat my words from a podcast that I did with you. I don't know that maybe six seven podcasts ago where I said that he wasn't so special, but the way he finished that year off, it's got to go to him. Hellebuck is always up there, just never there. Does not go to Allmark just because they had 152,000 wins. Um, that team is fantastic. And I don't think that he was the one who carried the team. Zach Rain, if you had to build your team right now, you have an expansion team and you could take any NHL goalie for to build a team around, who would you take? Great question. Who would I take? Jake Ottinger. So not Allmark and not Sorokin. No, I wouldn't take Sorokin. He's a little older for me, but still a great goalie. And I like Ottinger because of his size and his flexibility. I would tell you that the lineup for the suitors for Hellebuck is long, long, long through the streets of Winnipeg. And that team is going to be gutted yet again. It's such a shame, you know. But you know what? If things don't work out, maybe they'll move the team to Arizona. Oh, oops. Never mind. Sorry. Uh <laughs> That gives us another episode of The Chosen Life. Zachary Rain, people can reach you at at Rain Finance. We have your contact information. Thank you again for sharing your world of wisdom of finance, investments, insurance. You are a gift to the planet. And we're oh. looking forward to having you back again real soon. Well, you know what, everybody? You got to reach out to Jonathan Hakoen at Corman's Law. Best in class, really just not forget about the fact that he's an outstanding dude great to talk to um the the team at corman's does really really amazing work they've taken care of so many of my clients and i just couldn't be happier so make sure that you're reaching yeah see there you go right gentle plug um make sure you're reaching out to them too because they do fantastic work and thank you for having me on again to the chosen life i look forward to these so much as people are running to their paper bags and trying to uh hold it in we're gonna sign off Episode 79 is in the books. We'll see you real back soon, Zachary. And as we sign off, let's pull it out OG style and bring out the guns and say, Yes, sir. Keep on living the chosen life.